Welcome to the Enterprise Excellence Podcast, where our purpose is to help create a better future. Learn from our world's experts how to improve your organization sustainably. Learn how to achieve and sustain an excellence journey for yourself, others, and the planet. And I'm your host, Brad Jevons, coming to you from Brisbane, Australia. We are proudly brought to you in association with SA Partners, a world-leading business transformation consultancy. SA Partners are a truly purposeful company focused on helping organisations achieve sustainable improvement for themselves, others and the planet. Welcome to episode 107 of the Enterprise Excellence Podcast. It is such a pleasure to have Mr. Lewis Trigger back on the show with us today. Lewis was previously on in episode 31, sharing knowledge on the topic of constraint innovation. Lewis Trigger is an expert in enterprise excellence, helping organisations all over the world from virtually every industry. Today, we'll be exploring another key area of Lewis's expertise, project management and the critical chain. Let's get into the episode. Lewis, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Brad, and I'm really happy to be with you, and it's a pleasure to connect, even if it's virtual, virtual reality, but it is a pleasure, yes. Yeah, Lewis, now, the last episode 31 on Theory of Constraint Innovations, it was one of my favourites. Listen back to it probably three or four times. And it was, yeah, we thank you very much, mate. So many people I know have gained from that. But what have you been up to since then? That, I think you and I are talking that could, that was probably over two years ago. I can't believe it, Brad, how quickly the time goes by. Look, number one, the good news, obviously, which we're all feeling, and particularly those involved in education and implementation um, of, of, of areas of knowledge, is being able to have the face-to-face again. Um I probably that's, you know, ever since, as you know, Israel's been, you know, without trying to push Israel too much, although obviously, as you know, I'm a big advocate of Israel living yeah. over here, um, is that Israel really led the way, the world, in this whole combating uh, this earth, this awful, you know, um, expression of Murphy with COVID-19. And, and so we got back onto the ball very quickly. And so... Probably already, you could probably say probably, you know, we had about really starting to get back to normal, you know, at least half a year ago. Um, so a good thing has been fantastic as finally I meet my universe, as you meet my students face to face at university, <laughs> which has been nice, right? Yeah, well, I'm not sure how nice it is for them, but for me, it's nice to see them. <laughs> it's great. I remember the first workshops I had where I could just actually go into a classroom, you know, and have that interaction. On, in that classroom level, it was like wonderful. That, that's number one. Number two, having said that, the 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 COVID nineteen opened up opportunities which I didn't have before, particularly regarding Australia, mm. uh, in the sense that because of simply the physical distance between Israel and Australia, um, and also the time difference, is that allowed me an opportunity to be able to interact all the same with a number of projects. Um, in terms of training and implementation. And this is what I want to talk about, which we'll talk about quite a bit right now, about, I don't know, it must have been like it was really about a year ago even, okay, probably uh, 10 months ago, I, through the University of South Australia, their executive uh, training um, body, they uh, were able to sponsor for me to give over a three-day workshop uh, for BHP, BHP out at Olympic Dam. And that's a, that Olympic Dam is an amazing, is mm. an amazing, it's not a project, actually, it's what we call a mega project, yeah. which is made up of a whole bunch of different projects. But what's more is that it actually combines with it probably one of the most um, challenging 
areas in terms of management, which I'd already experienced with a number of a number of mining in, industries, because uh, I've also worked with Rio and Oz Minerals, a similar thing. But here again, I saw it in such a, if you want to say, crystallized. Because what you've got here, you've got a combination where you've got a mega project going on. You've got all these different mines that are being basically, which are being developed. Each of the mines that are being developed at Olympic at Olympic Dam, each one is a project in itself. Combine with that, overlay with that, that, that they've actually already got a lot of the mines they've actually now had in the past. Those projects are now completed as projects. And now they're actually giving you the routine uh, throughput of what they're coming up has to be processed and then sold out to the marketplace. And so you've got this overlap of two environments, which both are very complicated themselves. And what's makes the thing so amazingly challenging? And that's obviously why BHP was looking at me to say, well, what are we you know, trying to try someone else to help us out? Is the fact that you've got these common resources. In other words, you've got the same resources um, which are being shared in these both these huge areas that overlap in terms of a mega project area, plus you've also got the operational area. And so you've got, for example, you've got you've got these common resources. Like I can tell you right now, and, and I'm not going to go into too much of the details, but the amazing thing is, and this is what we'll get in today's session, is that from this what seems like a complete chaos of management, I mean, BHP knows how to handle itself, but what seems like a challenge of management of how the hell do you get around all this apart from just throwing more resources at it and basically pressurizing people and putting out fires. Amazingly, you can have a lot of calm. Now, I can say very much to BHP's credit, they brought me in in order to, con to continue their, if you want to say, their TOC, what I call constraint innovation journey. In other words, this was not the first time they'd been involved with TOC. And in fact, when I was with them, they had already, they showed me the things that I'd already been doing with TOC. I mean, I'd trained a number of their managers previously and a number of public workshops. And now those managers who actually came in were change managers. But again, they were like little Jonas. They were looking at me as being a bigger Jonah to come in. Uh, it was fantastic. That, that, that's that. And again, there's a lot of other things going, but because we're going to be talking about project management and the critical chain, I thought I would start with the BHP story. I think it's a great one, Lewis, because I haven't met a company where more people you can just say, okay, what's your constraint? And they can list it off from frontline employees to middle management to the executive of the whole of West Australia. They know across the whole of Western Australia where their main constraint is. Like, you know, that it's it's gone really well, that that focus on that. And, man, as you and I know, the calmness and the precision that that brings to a business is amazing. So it's great to hear that's continuing on. Yep. I guess the new virtual world allows you to cross over all platforms around the world to help out in this regard. Look, the the the, the truth of the matter is, it's it's a, it, the virtual platform is great, but the virtual platform you have to know how to how, how to really it takes you know yourself you have that experience you have to develop a skill in being able to give over knowledge and have other people more importantly to be able to internalize the knowledge. When it's when it's particularly done on a virtual platform, um, so again, without going too much into it, the whole thing, like this whole thing with BHP, I said it was a three day workshop, but they weren't three days, you know, online with me. This was broken up into smaller modules of learning, um, which was spread out over a number of weeks, uh, and they had assignments. Assignments 
which weren't just theoretical. Of course, the idea is, of course, because they are so much under pressure, they want to have the assignments which are helping solving the problems they've got right now. So we had identified with them, we did a lot of pre-work beforehand to identify areas of their business at, at Olympic Dam. We, we actually were actually able to nail it down um, to five different areas in Olympic Dam, which, by the way, interface with each other. So these five subsystems, we worked on the training on the subsystems, but the beauty was, and that was the thing I loved the most, was they actually saw how by developing the subsystems, the solutions required the interface with the other subsystems, which were, the, which were being developed the solutions to as well. So it was a beautiful, if you want to say, orchestration of learning and implementation at the same time, which went on with them. And again, I want to give credit to the people in BH. Number one, I give credit whenever I do an implementation and, and I see it succeeds, the credit's really with the people. It's not with me. I, I help facilitate. I give them the tools. They come and all come up with the solution. But this case, I want to even give more credit because there were a number of change agents there who were already on the ball with where we're going. And yeah. probably they need, and we know, we know this, Brad, this has got nothing to do with TOC, but... It's just got to do with when you bring in any good good management methodology, often it's easier for people in organisation to hear the exact same message, the same idea from someone from outside. Someone who comes from the outside, there's no, you know, there's, there's, there, because you've always got the politics that goes on in any organisation. And when you come in as an outsider, then you're already looked upon, providing you've got something sensible to say, you've got value, you're already looked upon already as this, if you want to say, it's 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 all it's it's it's, it's like a parent figure in many ways, a mentoring figure. Um, you're not looked upon uh, a, a, any suspect way that you've got you know you've got your your own agenda. That's you know the agenda which is involved with the politics of the organisation. So so that also helps tremendously. It makes it a lot a lot easier to get traction, doesn't it? So yep. Look, so- the thing I'm really looking forward to today with our conversation is last episode 31, we spoke about a topic that's really close to my heart. And I think it's one of the best approaches there is out there, theory of constraint innovations. And through that, you can identify your constraint. You can really tune in what projects you need to execute to unlock that constraint and, and everything goes with it. It's amazing. But today we're talking about an important topic, which is how do you execute on that? Because it's all well and good to know your constraint, but if you don't, have project management and an understanding of the critical chain, it can be a, a challenge, can't it? Because it's like, how do we actually turn that into reality? Do you mind explaining for listeners from your side why project management and, and critical chain, what it is and why it's important? Okay, so let's talk about let's talk about the broad uh, broad question of project management itself. Okay, because project management is in itself it's it's, it's a whole world in itself. And there has to be a clear distinction here between two worlds or two environments that we're involved in in terms of management. One environment is an environment where we've got an ongoing, when I say uh, uh, ongoing operations, where we've got orders coming in, we're supplying those orders. I mean, that's got challenges in itself, but it's basically an ongoing operations, which is obviously being tweaked the whole time as you're going in there. but the world of projects is a very different environment. The world of projects is a world where we're talking about where you've got something which is non-routine that's coming in. 
okay? It's a non-routine activity. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be developing Olympic Dam. It doesn't necessarily have to be developing a new weapon system, which I get involved a lot with in the Israeli, over in the Israeli Defense Forces, the Ministry of Defense over in Israel. It can be, for example, it can also, for example, you've got a whole new, now you have to have a new marketing campaign for your company. That's a project because it's not part of your routine, this whole marketing campaign that you're going to do. Maybe now have to put into, into place, for example, the HR people that we now have a new challenge of trying to get, you know, we need to get, we've got these labour shortages and we've got, you know, we need to now start making sure how can we start getting more people on board in our company? How do we, how, how do we, how are we going to employing new people into the company itself, bringing them in? That in itself, when it's, it's not part of the routine, it becomes a project. So anything that's non-routine is projects. Now, of course, there's an overlap between management principles in the routine world and the project world. You know, you can say, well, both of them need to have design, you have to have planning, you have to have execution, and you have to obviously make sure you've got control and measurement, measurement and control of what's going on. But the project world um, differs in one huge area. The huge area, because it is part of a non-routine. It's the, it's, if you want to say, it is the playground of Murphy. Murphy's playground. And Murphy loves to wreak havoc on us. Now, Murphy has a harder time in routine activities because the routine activities means that even though Murphy tries to get in there, you basically know what Herbie's up to. You know, it's like, for example, you know, I just recently asked an electrician to come in and take care of some trivial electricity work in my home. Now, the reason I did this is because, you know, I don't deal with electricity on a day-to-day -day basis. And the few times I did try, okay, <laughs> it was a very unpleasant experience. <laughs> but, the, but the electrician, he's been electrocuted initially so many times that he knows exactly not what to do so when he comes in he never gets electrocuted anymore he knows already okay i don't want to go through that pain <laughs> and number one i'm not going to be doing and even if i did it it's going to between you know between the next time i have to do the electricity i've forgotten everything from the pain from before and i'll get electrocuted again this guy is doing it 10 times a day so the project environment what it means is whenever you go into 101 project management all of it on one, if you want to put it on one foot, if, if you say what, what's project management's all about, if I have to say it in one sentence, it how do you effectively deal with Murphy? That's what project management is all about. So whenever you go into the basic course, and I, and I teach project management, I mean, apart from the fact, you know, my two expertise in areas is operations in the broad area, which has really got to do more with routine areas, and then the area also of project management, which is the, which is the non-routine area. Um, so you've got all the basic things like, you know, you talk about, you know, WBS and PERTS and GANTS and risk management and, you know, all of this type of stuff is there and it has to be there. It's good that it's there. But then you get the overlay. I call the Ferrari of project management and the Ferrari of project management is the critical chain. That is the next step. We can talk about that even more. Of course, that's how I want to talk about that more. But that's really, you want to say, the next level of where you take that. And major companies, major successful leading companies in the world have taken that next step in project management. You know, for a while now, Microsoft, Cisco, Intel, they all use that 
in their project management areas. BHP, now BHP is like, you know, it's an elephant, it's huge. So you ask someone in BHP, you know, they say, I've never heard of the bloody thing. And then there's another person you ask in BHP, they'll say, hey, yeah, without that, we can't get anything done. Because it's like, you know, going to going up to an elephant and you're blindfolded and and, and, you're, and you're touching this elephant and you say, what the hell is this? <laughs> Maybe it's a snake. Maybe I've come across, you know, you know, I, you know, you come across the leg of the of the elephant. I've just come across a tree. Oh, I just moved a little bit. No, you know, so so you don't know. But but when you get into, you see that these companies are dealing with it. You know, I can go all about that. I, I can tell you, I'm in defence. So the biggest project in the history of mankind. I'm not exaggerating. In mankind, in terms of budget and in scope, is the project called the F35. The F35 is the um, is the is the is the combat the new combat plane which is replacing um, the combat planes of not only the, the, the American Department of Defense, and I don't say just the Air Force, because the American Department of Defense is the Air Force, the Navy, and the Marines, okay? So we're talking about thousands of the most unbelievably sophisticated, you know, combat airplanes. They say it's going to be the last generation of combat airplanes that's actually manned by a pilot. After that, they're going to have... Not, you're not going to have pilots sitting in planes anymore. They're going to be operating from the ground with joysticks. But 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 it's the last one. And not only that, they're replacing. They're they're they're, they're giving it over. Um, giving it over. They're selling it to all their allies. So we're talking about countries like Australia, yeah. Israel, Sweden, Britain. I mean, we're talking about. So Lockheed Martin. If you got shares with Lockheed Martin, you're on the ball because Lockheed Martin was the main contractor. Lockheed Martin developed the F-35 using critical chain. Just to understand where it's got where it's got to it. I can show you, literally, I can go on for, you know, I can go on the whole broadcast just talking about implementations about this whole thing. So that really is the Ferrari. Why? That's what we'll get into in this session. We're so lucky to have Lewis Trigger presenting live to the Enterprise Excellence Community in September 2022. If you're interested in attending, please go to the enterpriseexcellencecommunity.com backslash contact to reach out. Mention you heard about us through this podcast and we'll get you a free pass. Lewis Trigger will also be in Australia throughout September and October, providing free live webinars, workshops and other events. If you're interested in getting Lewis along, finding out more about what he does, please reach out to us at the Enterprise Excellence Podcast or directly to Lewis Trigger via LinkedIn. Subscribe and share and like this podcast to help others gain insights and create a better future. Let's get back to the episode. So, Lewis, with it, um, the critical chain, what, what are the key elements of the process of using the critical chain thinking and approach to execute projects and okay. achieve great outcomes there? So, I'll say this is where, you know, it's a, an amazing breakthrough. Because, again, it's not, for example, like we're reinventing the theory of constraints when we talk about the critical chain. What Ellie Goldratt, the, you know, the guy who, you know, who I, I studied under many years ago, unfortunately, he's no longer with us, but this guy was literally, very few people I'd call a genius. Um, literally, this guy was a genius. This guy would think out of the box completely and, 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 he was able to come up with these insights and solutions, which, you know, people just had missed 
or couldn't couldn't think about. But when you see it, you go, wow, that's unbelievable. So what he did was he uses the same building blocks of TOC, which we talked about last podcast, where you identify the constraint and then you leverage it through the various stages. But he did it for the project, for a single project, plus a multi-project environment with common resources, which is even more difficult. But the same thinking was there. Number one, you have to identify what your constraint is. Once you identify the constraint itself, you have to leverage it. You have to be able to turn it into an advantage of being able to do that. Now, I'll just say in a nutshell, because again, you know, when we do the training and all the rest, you know, basically just talking about this takes a whole day just understanding the idea, but I can give the, I can give the, the basics idea. What is the major constraint in a project environment, the single project and the multi-project? Well, it's real simple. We just talked about it before. It's Murphy. It's uncertainty. You know, the level of uncertainty is higher. All right. So how do people generally deal with uncertainty in projects? Any, any experienced project manager will tell you, if he hasn't been trained in critical training, hasn't had the TOC training, They'll tell you, well, the way we deal with risk mitigation is we have to build safety buffers into the various tasks of the project. Now, that seems to make sense. And in fact, you know, I, by the way, I don't get too much into it, but when I did my third degree, one of the areas I had to really get heavily involved with, because they sent me, the Israeli Air Force sent me over the American Air Force and did my third degree over there. And it was really intensive training, a lot of investment. So I had this professor of statistics who gave me two courses one-on-one -on -one just on statistics. You can imagine, you're the only student in the class. So when the questions get asked, you look around, who's going to answer the question? It's only me. And so the reason I say this is that when you, and I can show it when, you know, when, and I've actually written papers on it for the academic world, when you go in and you put in a safety buffer for an individual task, and then you put it all together for the project itself, you should be able to, if you're able to get that extended time, in other words, a safety buffer in a project means you get more time so that you can actually do it, right? That's what it means. You know, you come up and you say, Brad, you know, you've got a really important thing. You know, you, you've got to do this, uh, prepare this particular workshop, right? Um, and I want to know, you know, how long is it going to take you to prepare that workshop? Now, you're going to tell me, you're never going to tell me, the net time. You're not going to tell me, oh, you know, if you know that you'd actually have to sit on this workshop because to develop it, let's say you'd have to sit on the workshop, let's say three days. You're not going to tell me three days. You're going to say to me, oh, okay, um, I'm going to say on that workshop, I'll, I'll, I'll have it all ready up and running for you in three weeks' time. Notice what you've done. You've taken the three days, you've put in the three weeks. Why? Because you know that, number one, you're not going to be left alone just to work on that workshop. You know, you're going to have lots of things that are going to be interrupting you. Plus, obviously, you're taking into account that obviously Murphy's going to be just when you think that things are going to be fine, you know, things aren't going to go fine. Things are going to, you know, you're going to have problems, glitches here, glitches there, people you're depending on. So we put the safety buffer in. And the more we pressurize a person to guarantee the time, the more they want to have a safety buffer. It's not that exactly, they're not exaggerating. They're doing the responsible thing. They want to turn up and say to the senior manager, if you're a project management, you want to turn around to your senior manager. Or if you're if you're contract, if you've been contracted to do a project, you want to be honest with your client and say, look, you want me to commit. This is the time I guarantee, as much as we can guarantee things in life, that'll be completed. You put the safety buffer in. Goldrat looked at this and said, interesting. How is it? 
that leading countries, companies in the world that have good project, have got the good project management skills in terms of really understanding what project management's about. And they, and they are able to even put in safety buffers for their individual tasks in there. How is it? And this has done so much research on it. The best companies, less than 30% of these projects come in on the tre precious triangle of scope in terms of what's a, the, what you're meant to be delivering, schedule when you're meant to be giving it over, budget how much the whole bloody thing was at the cost. Yeah. Less than 30%. But yeah. they've got it all built in. Statistically, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. So then Goldrod turned around and he says, it makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. The problem with the Goldrat was he was such a genius. He doesn't bother to waste his time to show you all the statistical graphs and how it actually can actually, actually can turn around. That was my job later on. I had to write a whole paper a couple of years ago statistically to show what's happening and what the solution is statistically. It's very, very simple. And if you say it in layman's terms, it's called, if you want to say, one of the most easy things is called the student syndrome. You know, Brad, guess what? When you say you want to have three weeks to do that particular, get that workshop all developed for me, you know what's going to happen. You're going to say, oh, thank God, I've got my three weeks, but I only had three, you know, I know it's going to take three days. So what are you going to say? Go, now I've got the three weeks. <laughs> Let's hold off, okay? I'll do a little bit here, a little do a bit there. But you're going to be working on this thing flat out for three weeks because you'll get the whole thing knocked down straight away if you were doing that, right? No. And we set ourselves up. And this is just one, the, the student syndrome, is just one one element. The actual what it is actually called Parkinson's law. Parkinson's law is all about how what it means is whenever you give extra time, Parkinson's law says regardless you'll always fill it up. The problem is that that's when Murphy hits because when you've got the extra time and you do fill it up, and you start to say I feel really comfortable, I'm not under pressure anymore, right? That's when things muck up. So it does two things. What it does to the project is it suddenly all those we lose, we waste all those time buffers. And not only we waste the time buffers and we set ourselves up for a fall, because projects statistically, when you look at the actual, when you put the safety buffers in, it's meant to work that you've got what they call that you've got a, a factor that even though some things will go over time, they should go over time, and we know that statistically, there are also statistically a number of events which actually can actually finish earlier. But because everyone's padding in the safety buffers, right? Number one, you set yourself up before. Number two, any of the opportunities that you would have had earlier on to finish something earlier and so that someone else could come in and continue it earlier, they've all been lost. So what we've done is, through Parkinson's law, We've actually changed our statistical reality. It's not that the statistics aren't correct, but we create a completely new reality where now what you thought was giving you 98% protection, I can actually show you statistically you've changed the skew statistically on your project and it's moved that what was originally 98% has now been reduced to less than 30%. And that fits yeah. in perfectly to what actually all the reality of the surveys are showing. So number one, I've just shown you what is the constraint and how classically we would deal with it. 
So all I'm just showing you right now in the session is Lewis. Now you've just shown me why I don't want to get involved in project management. I want to go back. I want to go back and deal with things that are routine orders. I just want to go and you know producing baked beans all day. I don't want to get into giving developing the new break the baked beans brand. That's a project. I want to deal with the old baked beans. No. Number one, there's no choice. If you live, and this is the thing I want to say right now, the reason why companies have to get and they understand why they have to get a handle on project management is our world is rapidly changing so much with the advancement of technology. Technical advancement, including the internet, which is a technical advancement, creates the world where our world is changing more and more from the routine to the non-routine. In other words, of course, the routine will always be there. I mean, if you've got, you know, I've got here, you know, I've got my smartphone here. I just bought the other day, my new version, okay? Now, the smartphone here that I just bought the other day, right, it's got a routine side to it where it's manufacturing all these orders, but they've already, they're already about to give out. I just bought the new thing. They're already about to launch the new one, right? Yeah. So there is, and the reason why that is because if they don't do that, they're going to be out of business because the competitors, They've come across all this new technology, which allow this new thing. This is this is this this is a new one, which is going to be outdated very shortly. The new one is going to be better and cheaper than the one I've got right now. It, you know, it's unbelievable. So companies understand, and all, and not just companies, by the way, also the public service, and also and also defences. In is, is obviously that's the case, right? where you've got the enemy developing new technology all the time. So if you're not on the ball, you're going to be knocked out. You know, in Israel, we're the leader of projects, the leader of high tech, and simply for one reason, it's survival, not on a commercial level in terms of defense. One of the leading organizations in the world in terms of project management is Israeli Air Force. Guess what? If we didn't do it, you know, we wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to be talking to you from my bomb shelter right now, no. okay? You know? <laughs> no. And I think I'd be too, blown away. Yeah. The so, only reality so, of our world has changed, isn't it, Lewis? Like the only reality you can trust on is change. And then it basically, throughout evolution, it's the survival of the fittest, a lot of it, when it comes down. Who can evolve the fastest? Absolutely. So, so, so I mean, can go on about this a lot more, but, but this is why project management, I'm giving you the answer of why project management is incredibly important, why we have to get involved. We've got no choice if you want to survive. But I've just given you a very, very, if you want to say, the initial answer, which says, Hey, all you're just showing me right now is the way we deal with that is by putting safety buffers in, but the safety buffers basically exploded our face. So it's like saying, Hey, yeah, what is it's like it's like that, it's like that poor old guy who came out of you know that terrible uh, civil war in uh, Yugoslavia uh, many, many years ago. And Yugoslavia broke up now, unfortunately, because I talk about what's going on in Ukraine, but I'll talk about Yugoslavia. So they broke the broke this poor old Croatian who you know his family had been you know basically been been murdered and 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 had a, you know had just terrible experience and and then you know he survived the war and 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 he came across you know the, the red cross and the red cross said don't worry mate you know the war's over you know there is always going to be a light at the end of the tunnel and so the guy turns around and says yes it's the oncoming locomotive you know so it's it's yeah. like you know it's 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 what goldman has shown originally is hey the traditional way we deal with our constraint doesn't work no so now i want to tell you can i tell you the in a nutshell what the 
what the what what Goldratt's solution was. Well, I'd, I don't know. I'd I just like want to, to make sure. I, unless you want to put in a, what I want to let you speak a little bit, not just me. No, well, Lewis, I'd like to add one thing for the listeners too. It, it's because I see this so much in companies I'm working with right now that part of project management is yes, innovating to create the future, you know, and and stay ahead of the pack and survive. But I see also too, Lewis, as part of it is just the ability to make execute changes to overcome big problems that they're facing now, you know, and I think so many organizations that I see out there, they've just given up on project execution and they're just shooting from the hip, just doing stuff, but really just spinning wheels because I guess probably they've had bad experiences in the past with projects not working or going over time or crashing or physically they, they just, I, I don't know, they've given up. And I think this is going to be a great conversation because Parkinson's law and what you've just described is what I think so many companies are dealing with right now. And so, mate, I'll hand over to you. Let's go to the good stuff, which is... No, so what you just said, yeah, and I'll just follow on this before I get to what the core of the solution is. That's what I said. You have to understand what a project is. It isn't just developing, you know, our new version of the arrow, the arrow missile, the knockout, what the Iranians are planning on dropping on us with, with you know, with atomic warheads. We're not just talking about our, our missile system to knock them out, you know, out of the atmosphere. Whenever you have to put in, basically, you've got change management in a company. What you talked about right now is, hey, we have to change in our company. We have, to have, a, have an additional way of how we're doing business. We can take good ideas that we're doing, but we have to have additional ideas about doing it. That's a project. That has to be treated as a project. And so absolutely true. In other words, it's interesting. Whenever, you know, whenever I do an implementation just in constrained innovation, regardless of what it is, it's routine activity we're talking about, right? I say, hey, but just realize you just now, you just launched a project. So who's the project manager, right? Where's our, what's our tasks? Where's our time schedule? How are we going to be monitoring it? In other words, all of a sudden, all these things that, you know, you have to know, which are, which are 101 project management, have to come into it. What a great episode so far with Lewis Trigger. We'll bring that episode to an end on that point, the key introduction to project management. Next week, when we come back together again, we're going to be exploring the Ferrari approach to project execution and how to truly get better outcomes and speed with the way you go about project management. Thanks again, Lewis. We'll catch you next week. Bye for now.